Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I'm flying out. I'm flying back east to see lovely Joanne this weekend. And I'm there for two and a half weeks. And I'm going to a high school graduation and a junior high graduation. And and they're having a party. But I was thinking, can you are you like can you drink at a high school graduation party? Because it's we're adults and I don't want to get drunk and so I don't know it's going to be fun though I, I, it's going to be hot though back east is hot my guest is from back east we can talk about the humidity and uh, that's about it I'm not really talking today because I have a very funny lady on uh, but actually you know what I take that back I hate when people say funny lady because I am you know I think people it's a funny person because you know it's there's no it's not a funny lady black comic white comic it's just comedy and that's what we're all in and she's a comedy veteran and so she's a comedy veteran so she's not a funny lady she's a comedy veteran anyway my guest is Sue Costello how you doing Sue? I'm doing very well thank you thanks for having me it's great you came on because I know you live in New- you live in New York and mm-hmm. I see I saw you were coming out and I sent you a message because yeah. I sent you a message a while ago and you never got back to me but I understand Facebook people don't get messages like I just had someone say I just sent I got this message I just got it like Four months later, you know. No, what I, mean? I think sometimes I don't know what everybody's asking, okay. so I have to like make sure. Otherwise, if I just say yes to everything, then I might. Even when I was coming here, I was like, I really don't even know where I'm going. You could be like a murderer. Right. See, that's that's the weird. But that's <laughs> happened though. People have told me they've gone like this. That's why I say there's security. It's a nice studio because I know. Do you know Maz Jabrani? Yeah, yeah. Well, he said he went like his mom knew some met some lady to party, and then he ended up in like in a neighborhood at this house and the kid who was the host was a kid he was like 14 <laughs> so you have to watch yourself well yeah and you don't because I always try to balance that line because I never want to think that I'm too big but you also have to be realistic well, I'm glad you came right? I'm glad you got back to me and it's good so yeah, yeah I, I, I know your work I know you know I've, I, I, you have no, I know your name because you've been around you're not like been around like that you've been mm-hmm. a comic for a long time mm-hmm. I gotta ask you though first off what is a caduzzi I oh, always see you, you so always funny. put that you put that on your thing. Kadoo and I don't know idea what a kadoozy is. It is okay, so uh my friend calls me uh Doodle, Susie okay. Doodle. Why? Is it just any It's just like a pet name. Okay. And so we were with my my other friend's little kids and she said something like, Let's go wake up Susie Doodle. And s- somehow he heard Susie Kadoozy. Okay. And so then that day on Facebook and Twitter I just said Susie Kadoozy a couple times just because he had said it and then all of a sudden Everybody was like, please refer to yourself as the Caduzzi. Please speak whenever you're referring to yourself as Susie Caduzzi, please. And then they started calling me Caduzzi. Isn't that weird how yeah. the names that? Like mine, everyone calls me Coop, but it makes sense. My last name's Cooper. Uh-huh. But Caduzzi, because I was wondering, because you put Caduzzi. And, and also, you, 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 uh, when you post on Facebook, it's in a Boston accent. Yeah, Twitter too, yeah. Now, do you write that out or is there like a program where you can go in language no 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 I just write it out okay yeah. now you saw I, I take it you're from Boston yeah I'm from Boston okay now uh, were you uh, were you in a small family or a big family I have four kids in the family so okay. it's big to some small to others for, for Boston it's yeah. sort of small it's not like to. Jimmy Schubert's family like 19 <laughs> yeah. Irish kids running around Philly uh, and I'm guessing you're Irish I'm Irish yeah okay so now did you did you know you wanted to be co- do, do comedy when you were a kid did you were you no. funny or what What, was, what were your well, aspirations the funny part the name of my one woman show which is why I'm out here is called I Wasn't Trying to Be Funny okay and so my whole life there were plenty of times and throughout the show I realized that I say to people oh I wasn't trying to be funny okay and they would be always laughing even when I cry people laugh why 
I don't, my facial expressions. I'm very like a, I don't know. I'm very emotive. Okay. So so you what, you what did you want to do when you were a kid? What was I mean? What, was there was there creativity around your house or no? I used to be in like the minstrel show, so I did a lot of those, and I liked that. And I used to jump on the couch and sing, "Fame, I'm gonna live okay. forever." <laughs> Remember that show? Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if I consciously knew that I wanted to be an actress, but I had you know fantasies about being like pretty i liked like a boy when i was little so i always wanted to be like a pretty girl that was on the magazines and okay. i always wanted to be sexy not beautiful i don't know what that was well i think i think that's i think sexy is better than beautiful yeah i mean i'm both but i think you are. Uh, I, I was about to say uh, you stepped on your own compliment <laughs> uh, so so okay you're a girl in boston there's mm-hmm. a there's a great comedy scene in boston oh my so, god we I mean, got trained so well i mean there's so many and there was back then i mean i used to work with guys who were like oh yeah well you can do Three shows at Nick's upstairs and two downstairs at Nick's, and they were just making hands over. That fist. was a little before my time. Okay. But but my time was, uh, it used to be that the headliners would host. Okay. That was a big deal, that the headliners would host the show. And there was always a very clear distinction between an open micer, an opener, a middler, a headliner. Right. So there wasn't as much competition as there is now because... It's just like a free for all now. Yeah, seven minute sets. Back back then, yeah. you know, you you had it was a ranking system. Like you know, you always you would you and you and you probably know this because you've been doing comedy. You use the term the class before me. Mm-hmm. Like like for me, it was like Keith Robinson and Todd Glass. But Todd was like two classes before he started when he was sixteen. But like they were the class where they started getting work. Mm-hmm. And so you use it was it was right. It was almost it was almost like a school. Yeah, well, and also the headliners would would train you. They would give you advice, really good advice. They weren't so threatened. They weren't so nervous that you were going to take over. Right. So you, when did you decide to do comedy? When you graduated high school, what, 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 was your, what were your goals when you got out of high school? I didn't have any. I worked at, I was a file clerk at Fidelity Investment. Okay. And I, and I became the head file clerk within like two months. So I was very good. You're a very good file clerk. <laughs> well, thank God you got into comedy and stopped doing it. Because just think if you were a file clerk now, you'd be like, I could have been doing comedy. I wouldn't be in LA. I'd be in, at Fidelity. I might have been the head of all of Fidelity. Exactly. Files, and you have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So so you you get out you're doing this job and it's nine to five which nine to five. must be crazy for a comedian now because your lifestyle is so different you know because you, you I'm not like a normal night. comedian that that has all that I go to bed at a reasonable hour and get okay. up at a reasonable hour I do too that's funny I mean I mean I don't perform as much but in New York I guess you get earlier spots not like in New mm-hmm. York but you have to go go hey you got a spot at two in the morning yeah no you get that. so you when did you decide to go into comedy this so is- I used to tell stories at at all the cubicles at Fidelity and the manager I remember he sat me down one time and he's like Sue listen you need to stop telling stories because not only are you distracting the whole office but I find myself coming out to listen to your stories okay and I don't know if I consciously thought oh I'm funny or whatever and uh but I went to Salem State all my friends were at Salem State and I went to Salem State because I figured I might as well go to college but I never felt smart so I went to night school because I was like oh at least I can do night school I'm not smart enough to go to day school but and I went to night school and I did all right but I passed in my first English paper and my teacher asked me if I ever thought about being a chef so I was like, oh, well, I guess that's not going to yeah. work out. <laughs> <laughs> what a compliment. Hey, you want to be a chef? Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, great. I guess, you know, then, of course, when you did home act, they wanted you to be a, uh, no, a they writer. Were, they were that's really, all. like, they were, people did react to me that way. I don't okay. know if it was, like, I wasn't aware of my own energy or something. I, I don't know if they were playing. I don't know what it was. But uh, so I transferred to UMass Boston. I wanted to go to, um, I don't know why I went. I don't. I didn't consciously go for acting. I went there because... Uh, I took an acting class and the teacher told me I was good. That's part of the sh- my one-woman show. And I said she's the only one who's told me I was ever really good at anything. Okay. So I became an actress. So yes, as I look back hindsight now, yes, I always wanted to do it, but I wasn't conscious of it. And so I took an acting class and I played a hooker. Okay. And the, the head of the department laughed so hard. 
He's like, I love the accent she picked. And I was like, oh, I didn't pick that. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> I was like, and again, I wasn't trying to be funny. And I have my friend Kevin Chapman. He is an actor. He's been in like Mystic River. He's on uh, Person of Interest now. He's, the name sounds familiar. The name yeah. Sounds- he, uh, so he used to like literally around the neighborhood, he would pop up everywhere and be like, so you got to do stand up. And I was terrified, terrified, terrified. And every time I saw him, I'd ride my bike the other way. I'm like, oh, there he is again. And one time he signed me, he signed me up for a competition at uh, Duck Soup in Boston. Okay. And I remember I was so scared. But I, I, I knew I wanted to do it because I couldn't go to comedy clubs because it caused me too much pain to watch other people on stage. It's funny. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't conscious, but there was a lot going on. And so he signed me up for the competition. And I remember I like fell asleep. I woke up. I threw up. I went back to sleep. I woke up. It was torture to try really? to get myself did, to the stage. Did you write an act down, or did you did you yeah. know what you're going to do? Were you yeah. like, okay, I'm gonna, and did you practice it? Yes, I, okay. I think you had five minutes. Okay, I had a hard time completely practicing it. Why? I didn't want it to be rehearsed. Okay, and I'm very fearless in terms. Like I'm very much an enigma. Like. So I was very nervous, but I'm also fearless in a way. So I just needed to get myself on the stage. And it's funny because um, what I did on stage that first night is actually what my one-woman show has come back to. Like I was so raw and honest that first night, and it took forever to get back to Isn't being that, that weird? raw and honest. Yeah. It's so weird. Like I mean, I, I mean, I just fool around with comedy. And I did it on the road from 88 to 95, and then I got out of it. And when I go back now, it's like I just don't care. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, like when you're in the beginning, you're worried. You're like, oh, well, this, you know, but like. Yeah, well, people tell you a lot of things about right. yourself. It's, it's For me, it's been my evolution as a stand-up, my evolution as an actress has all uh, coincided with my evolution as a person. Like, the less I listen to people, the more I am true to myself, which... Right, which I think yeah. that's most people. We, what we're afraid to do that. We, usually, we, we just listen to people and then, you know... Well, and also, when you first start out, you don't know, so you have to listen to right. some. So it's like, it's like de- just like life, deciphering, like, how much to take and how much to leave and... So how did you do that first night? I think they was like one to ten. They they judged you, and I think I got like zeros and everything, but I got a ten in stage presence. Well, that's good though. At least you, that's that, that's <laughs> well, the I think thing. You, you can't buy that, right? right. That's yeah, the yeah, one. You're right. Yeah. You can work. You can work and hone your skills, but if you're just a dope on stage, <laughs> it's I nothing. Did. But no, that's what that that be. That's that's very must have been a little bit encouraging. Oh yeah, no. The second I opened my mouth and I got the laughs, I remember my whole body feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm home. So it's it's weird. So you just did that contest. So where do you go from there? I oh, mean, and then I would just do stand up. I remember the so. I mean, and people were like, "How did you do?" It? I'm like, "How'd you bomb?" They would say, and I'd say, "Well, once you bomb, you do everything in your power to never have that feeling again. That's why you stop bombing because it's like I never want." I remember I was Billy Martin. He actually executive. I think yeah, I know um, uh, Bill Martin. Bill Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he told me he was like Sue. All you have to do is uh, stay on stage for five minutes. That's it. Just get your stage legs. And I'm very pragmatic, and so I listened to him, and I was at the Silver Fox and some of all, and these guys, big Italian guys, were like, you suck, get off the stage, screaming at me. And I was like, I know I do. I just have to stay on stage for five minutes. <laughs> and then they laughed. And there again, I wasn't trying to be funny, but they thought that my honesty, like this guy described me, I had a sitcom, and it was very hard for people to write for me because I don't know if they try to put you in a box or they think that you're rough. I'm not rough. And so I was t- out with this guy. I think he used to, he writes for, he was on NPR. He's just a really like heady, smart guy. And he said to me one night, he said that I'm emotionally uh, logical. And I was like, that's the first time anybody's actually verbalized. Wow. I'm very emotionally logical. And it makes people very confused because I'm very log. Like most people aren't in touch with their emotions or don't know. They can intellectualize things. But I go from the heart and the gut. And so that's I'm very. That's good though. Yeah. And you have great stage presence. There I guess go. so. I don't know. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so you start doing it. You're doing the, the Silver Fox, and you're doing these places. Do you feel that you're getting better? I mean, is it one of those things? Do you sit there and go, you know what? It's going to take a little while, but I really I, I have the knack for this. Yeah, and there's something very valuable, like as opposed to, I don't know if I was just an actress, I would have to depend on other people casting me everywhere. There was some innate, like I'm from blue collar, I'm a hard worker, so there was something very valuable in being able to sit down and write and have a handle on what I do and how many spots I do. And I mean, they still have to let you in, but we could go, we would drive from the, to the Peking Garden from Boston, which was in Northampton, and it was like, I think we got paid $25, and it was like two and a half hours there and two and a half hours right. back. It's crazy. Some of those, some of those gigs. It's like I. You probably. Did you ever work for John Schuler? No. He used to book. The, it used to be called the Last Laugh in Hartford. I don't yeah. know. It's got this called Steam something now. But he had all these weird one that was like in Connecticut and like New Canaan and and you just like you go in these places that look like barns and you'd be like, what the hell? Well, you know what's so funny too is lots, lots. I'll say lots. I won't be general and say all, but lots of club owners are horrible. Yeah. Horrible and mean and sneaky and. What's one of your worst experiences with a club owner? You I think when name. I had to, well, I always have a hard time because I'm a woman and I do really well on stage. I get a lot of. Yeah, do you get that? I mean, I yeah. think, well, it's funny is, and, and you're an attractive woman, like John's Thank an attractive you. woman. And I think, I always feel bad for, well, especially, um, I feel bad for female comics sometimes because the, the, if, if you're, if you look, if you're cute or you have a cute body, guys are good. You know, like the guys in the audience are gonna, don't want to take but you serious. But why do you feel bad? Because it is what it is. I know, but it's just like, it's like, just watch their acting. It's like, but I wish, why change human just, nature? I know, I just, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like, I don't like. I but I think that's where women get in trouble when they have the theory that you're having right now. Maybe. Because why change human nature? We can't. Like, I guess you're right. Yeah, right? that makes sense. So yeah, it's just go up and do your stuff. So what and deal with it a little bit. Like I have, I always get nervous. I get nervous. Like I used to get so like, I would do what you're saying. And then it's like, well, why am I trying to f- fight what is? Right. You're never going to get a guy to not be... I mean, I was in the airport coming out here. I was like, oh, my gosh, they really... D-. The guy sitting beside me said, like he said to his friend, I bet you he effed around a lot. And I just looked at him. I was literally sitting, like, right next to him. He goes, I bet you... And he looked at me and looked back, and he goes, I bet you he had a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is how... And then this other girl walked by, and the, the maintenance guy talked to the other guy, and they were talking, you know, they were right. lusting after her. And I was like, it just is. It's funny. So it's why true. pretend that it isn't? Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. See, now I've changed my mind. Thank yeah. You. Well, that's what my my whole one woman show is about, like dealing what is instead of us pretend. Even in terms of who you are as a person, like stop pretending that you're not who you are, and you will be freer. Explain that. Well, like if I I'm five foot three, I have blue eyes. I'm you know I'm from Boston. My childhood was my childhood. There's no way to change anything, anything that's happened to me, and especially with the with the sexism stuff i really feel like what better way to come overcome it than to deal with be in awareness of what you're dealing with and it's very hard to like nobody wants to feel completely powerless right but we are completely powerless guys are dogs guys are like fleas on dogs what was that from uh, greece i used to yeah. love that line <laughs> guys are worse than fleas I, on I dogs like, i like i like a greece when he goes sandy <laughs> that's the 35 year anniversary of greece was this week oh really i was like holy crap and i had a date to that i said i'm getting old I said, I took a date. I didn't drive. I wasn't driving yet, but I went to a date in Greece. That's crazy. So, okay, I want to get back to your uh, the comedy uh, when you're starting out, when you're starting out. So you're starting to, you're starting to, are you starting to get your chops up? You're working out a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of time in Boston, a lot of clubs. Who were some of the guys you were working with? Uh, Kevin Knox. Okay. Dave Fitz. Those guys both died. God rest their souls. Uh, Colin Quinn was always around. Mark Marin, uh, Nick DiPaolo. 
So the, on our dizzy. So you got to see a lot of good acts. I mean, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. that you really got to see because you know Colin Quinn's just so funny. Right? Oh my god, I remember me and Kathy Byron were at the back of Nick's one night. We were. Uh, we were new, and he was on stage, and he, I don't know what, because I don't know if you watch him on Twitter. He gets them all going with his stuff. He's, he used to do that back then. He started talking at Nick's in Boston about Catholicism and, like, the ancient the Bible meaning or something, and they hated it, and he kept on going, and he kept on going, and they were getting up and walking out in droves, and he was like, put a yield <laughs> sign on so I can see you better, and Kathy, we were crying, laughing, it was the funniest thing we had ever seen. Yeah, he always did that when he was in Philly, <laughs> and Philly was, isn't always the brightest crowd, he's playing the comedy works, and you're right, he just kept going, yeah, he didn't and care. you're just like, he doesn't care, and it's like, and as a comic, you're dying, it's right, you're just like, oh my God. Same so, with Nick DiPaolo, I remember I was in Jersey one night working, I worked with him in uh my friend was with me, and he was doing great. He killed. He used to. I never saw anybody teeter the line between sexuality and hilarity better than Nick DiPaolo. Like danger and sexy all at the right. same time, and like he pushed the line. He just teetered it perfectly. And then now he's a little bit more grumpy. So we were in Jersey, and he was doing his thing, great, great, great. And then all of a sudden, this lady said something, and I don't. I forget what it was, but I turned to my friend. I go watch. Watch it unravel, and sure enough, boom, 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 boom. Within two seconds, it was like a fight, and it was like crazy. I was like, "See?" <laughs> That's what I worked with him in San Diego at this big place, Fourth and B, years ago, and same thing. I mean, so it's, he's so funny, but mm-hmm. he's dark. I mean, yeah. and the people, some people are like, and it's like, hey, and they're like, "What the?" You know, and it's just yeah. I'm dying, and you can hear like certain jokes. It's like quiet, and you're sitting there going, "Are you people stupid?" That's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. When he was younger, he had a little bit more lightness to him, so it really worked. Like it really. It worked everywhere. People just couldn't help but laugh. So you did, when did you leave Boston? I know you, you've been in New York for a while, right? Yeah, what? I left Boston. Honestly, to be, tell you the truth, like I don't care anymore. I tell the truth. Uh, because I, I looked around and I saw a couple of women that were really funny and weren't making it. And I thought, I can't stay here. I'll never make it if I stay here. They okay. will not let me make it. And so I went to New York and I was an aerobics instructor. And so I would teach aerobics during the day. And you want to talk about 2 o'clock in the morning spots? I would have, I would literally, when the clock went to like 20 of 11 at nighttime, I was, that's when I knew I was all done. Because I, sometimes I had to like train somebody at, I trained this woman, she was like 80 at 6.30 every Wednesday. And I would get like a 2 o'clock in the morning spot at the comedy cellar. So I would go to bed at 20 of 11, wake up at like 1, 1.30, go do the spot, go back to bed, wake up at 6, go train the old lady. Wow. Yeah. But that, you know what's cool about that? That's that's really so is discipline. Yes. I have a lot of discipline. That's yes, good. I think I, I think you, I think you need it. I, I think in any in any back of life, like we, me and John talked about in this first hour, I recently went through, I, a year ago I was in the hospital. I had congestive heart failure. Oh, wow. And I had to learn, but I'm healthy now, but mm-hmm. I had to learn I can't smoke cigarettes anymore. Mm-hmm. I gave up. And you have to discipline yourself because, mm-hmm. you know, people don't understand. It's You're not going to get anywhere if you don't have discipline. No, and the funny part is the discipline makes you happy. People don't understand. They think, oh, I don't want to work. I just want to have fun. And it's like the not working is what makes you miserable and depressed. Right. It's just so such a phenomenon to me. It is. So you go to New York. Now, have you, had you been in New York a lot or were, was it were you, was it? Well, I used to go out with Greg Fitzsimmons. Okay. We Greg was on the show a while Boston. ago. Yeah, okay. yeah. We lived together in Boston. Okay. So, so we did stand up together. I met him at Dick Doherty's Comedy Vault. Okay. Such a comedy romance. <laughs> That's classic. And I remember he's like, put your number in my tape recorder. I was like, I'm not giving you my number. <laughs> it was not funny. Like, it wasn't cell phones back then. So it's like, because, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like now you can. But the thing that sucks now is, though, it's like, you know, if, if you're a guy and you don't call a girl, you can't get out of it. Because in the back, you go, oh, I lost your number. Right. But now when she's like, oh, it's in your phone. Right. And you're not going to say, oh, this is a new phone because it looks the same. Well, I wouldn't know about that because guys always call me if they take my number. No. 
Yeah, well, no, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you guys, you guys, did you guys move to New York together? Well, yeah, we uh, well, we lived in Boston together, and then his dad was, he's from New York, he's from Tarrytown. Okay. And so we would always come down and visit his dad. His dad was a radio announcer on NEW, and okay. he had an apartment in the city, so we would always come down. And I remember watching Greg at uh, Boston Comedy Club. And I would sit there and or even driving around the city and I'd be like, I can never, I'll never do it. I could never go on that stage. I could never drive around the city. I could never do it. I was so terrified. And then we ended up, he moved down first. He was in an acting class or something and he got us this, this um, illegal sublet on Mulberry Street down in the north end. And we lived with me and Greg and George McDonald on the sixth floor walk up. Gladys and Tony were our... Uh, the people that we had to give the money to. That's we had to funny. go meet them every week and give them money. <laughs> <laughs> so you, that's that's great, though. You probably got a good rent deal. We had a great rent deal, yeah, yeah. So you're in New York now. Or do you acclimate to it very quickly? Yeah, very quickly. Okay. I'm a survivor, and I remember thinking soon. I, the fear that I had prior to and then compare that, compare that to how quickly I got the subway system and everything was phenomenal. I was like, I, I just remember thinking I have to shut it down. I cannot live unless I get it. I mastered this, and I did. Okay, so you, you got there. Now, what, what clubs did you start hitting? I started, I did the Boston Comedy Club. I did uh, Caroline's. I would do the Bringer shows a lot. I did uh, Comedy Cellar. Now, how would you do a Bringer when you didn't really know people there? Oh, was that's it? hilarious. That's a good, because this is all in my show, my one-man oh, show. Oh, come on, don't say because it's very interesting, because it's like, okay, you just moved to the city. It's like So I taught aerobics, right? But I taught aerobics to old, it was like an older, like an elderly class. <laughs> yes, literally. And so I had to do the Bring a Show at Caroline's, and they were the only ones I knew, so I made them come. Really? Yeah, so they oh, were the ones, and they were the ones that were in the audience the night that I, that they saw the tape of me that I killed and got my TV deal from. Okay, so the, you got your TV deal. That was with Fox, right? That was my first one was with uh, Disney. Okay, now you was based. No, I'm sorry, my first one was with CBS. Okay, was it based on your act or what? How did how did how did that come? Because a lot of people don't know. Because that back a while ago, people a lot of comics got development deals. Yes, and it doesn't happen as much now. Not as much. No. So how did how did that whole thing happen? And did it change your life a lot? Yes, it did. But well, what happened was like I've always been like I said, I'm very like every decision that I've made, I've always tried to be take the like less ego-driven decision. And okay. so when I moved to New York, I knew I was a middler in Boston, but I was like, I, I, I'm afraid if they... I always had this like unconscious, I'm afraid if they see me, I'm not going to be able to handle myself. All right. It was some sort of personal... I can only describe it when I saw... I used to waitress and this little red-headed girl was on the end of the table and she started screaming, move me, move me. They're going to see me. They're going to see me. And she was nervous because everybody was going to say, oh, look how cute your hair is. Look, And she didn't want all the attention. Okay. So I, that's the way I could only verbalize how I felt so I was like I'll I'll go down and I'll do the bringers and I'll get really good and I'll get strong on the inside and then I'll be able to handle it which I don't know if that's really anything you can do in life either sounds like when people are like oh I'll be when I'm ready to have a baby I'll have a baby you can't right you oh, yeah. have to have life but I thought I could control it so anyway so um I did the bringer show and what happened was Mark Marin. I finally got the whole story from Ari. I did Ari Lang's show last month, and we finally got the whole f full story of what happened. So I knew that um, Luna Lounge downtown, it was like an alternative comedy show where all the, like, the industry, because back then all the industry would come out to the comedy clubs every night because okay. it was a big deal because all the development deals. So Luna Lounge got canceled, and now I found out just recently, Artie told me that Mark Marin's flight got canceled. So all the... So the show got canceled because they had asked, asked Artie okay. to host it and he wasn't available or something. So they canceled it. So all the industry from that night came to Caroline's to the new talent show. So by accident, I was on stage. I had no pressure because I didn't know that there was right. any industry there. I just thought it was the old ladies. And so I did my set and I killed. And uh, 
then they took the tape from that and then I had a manager that night and then they sent the tape and then I had an agent and then the tape went to LA and the next thing I know I was borrowing clothes from the old ladies and I was flying first class and I was out telling stories to everybody. That's just, I mean, it's such a whirlwind. It, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, now you come out, now did you have to move out here? Uh, I'd never moved completely. Like, I, I was funny. I drove by the Oakwood. I lived in the Oakwood for a little oh, while. And we I were just know. talking. That is like, who was I talking about? <laughs> who was, oh, uh, Mark Valley was on last week, and we were just talking about how just cheesy that play. Like, it's like, it's it, depressing. It's like, and there's you think, all like, of these oh, here kid- I am in Hollywood, and you're like, this, I'm so depressed. Yeah, it's like, you I'm go up lonely. that road. I, I, live in, I lived in Burbank for 10 years. <laughs> I've driven by, I've never even gone up that thing because it just looks like, it looks like a cult lives up there. Yeah. And it's just like all the, the actors, like the people move out and they put their kids in there. Mm-hmm. For you, of course, it's perfect because it's short term house. I mean, you don't know what's going to go on. Right. And you have that. But some of these people, and like they said, you go to the pool and there's like a tatted out musician and then like, you know, a family. It's like the most diverse thing. Well, and that's what I love about it because I love. I'm always about like I don't like when they put on me that you're well known, you're famous, any of that stuff because I feel like it it disconnects you from your humanity. Okay, and humanity is what makes you feel part of the world. Like there's no there's a reason why they say fame goes to your head because you disconnect from your heart and your soul and you're scared and then you do drugs and you spin right. out. You have to stay connected. So I've always felt like I don't want that to happen to me. I wasn't always strong to be able to handle that. But uh, so I did, So living in that place, I, I just lost my train of thought what I was trying to say. About the Oakwood. How you, I, know, I think about... Something about the, the fame and not wanting to be... I don't know. You were saying... Uh, you were, you were, we, I said that the people at the pool is all different walks of life. It's very different. And you said you didn't want to be like that i don't know i'm i'll I'm, come it'll come back to that's me. cool i'm the same way stuff will come back I'm like, no because yeah, okay. it was something that was very about being connected as a human now what did you think of la when you first came was it your first time in la when they flew you out or oh that's what i was gonna say oh i know what i was gonna say so so um, so i'm about to do my one woman show out here i did a kickstarter the guy from vulture magazine which is a uh, new york magazine it's uh, the online he, he tweets at me and says sue i want to talk to you about um the culture, the 90s culture with the sitcoms. And okay. I was like, absolutely. This is like set me up for a home run. Get me back in the press. And so the point I was making about how the fame is that I like to tell the truth about what really goes on. Like, I feel like that machine that just spins out all that craziness that it's awesome right. hurts people. Okay. So, yeah, we lived in the Oakwood. And like when you get a TV show, you don't know where you're going to live. You can't settle down. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. And the thing that I ex- explained to him very clearly is like you make a lot of money, but you also – I had 35 – I got taxed in an income that as if I had made that. First of all, I make no money, and then you make a big amount, and you get taxed as if you make that money every year. Right. Back when Reagan was in office, he had like a five-year fluctuation where you could go over the past five years and figure out your taxes. But after – once he was out of office, then it became just you get taxed fifty five percent like, like every other right. person. So you get taxed that way, and then you have all these people handling you. I had, I was giving away thirty five percent of my income, so fifty percent minus the thirty five percent over it's, how many years of me not having any money turns out to be like thirty thousand dollars a year. Right. So uh, yeah, it's true. You see the extent. That's what people don't see. They go, "Oh, making all this money," yeah. but the taxes, and they don't think about you know your agent and your manager, and then there's, sometimes there's a PR person, and, and just, that you don't make the money like that all the time. Right. They make seventy thousand dollars a year every year or whatever. So realistically, it's not. And the guy was really like, "Wow, I never thought of it that way." I'm it's like, true though. That's yeah. that's true. So you 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 got the series. What happened with the CBS? What what did the so, show? Oh, that's the other thing I was going to say. So I was trying to make the humble decision. So they they had a. Uh, it was when. Um, Carsey Warner had uh, townies. They were developing townies. And CBS had a pilot that was written by a Boston woman that was already written that was picked up. 
So I was like, Carsey Warner was big at the time. They did Roseanne and everything, right. Brett Butler. But I was like, oh, but I don't know what the script is going to be. And this script is already written and I like it and it's Boston. So I made that decision and I went with that. And I loved Les Moonves was just so always awesome to me. So the show, did the show go? Nope. So I shot that pilot and then uh, the sh- the, I shot it with Clock Craig. Clock Greg played my boyfriend. Who? Oh, he is Clock Greg. He's a big actor now. I don't He's know. married to. Um, I'll I'll IMDB him later. He's good. He played my, yeah. And so, so no, they didn't pick up the pilot. So then they wanted me to go on Townies right on the air. They were going to let me go right on Townies. It had already been picked up on ABC. And then I think what happened was CBS wanted me to stay with them. Because a lot of that would go on back then. I've talked to a couple of people recently about, they would give you a holding deal just to keep you off the market. Yeah, Jordan Brady was on it. He said that, that they gave him a holding deal. Just said basically not to go audition for parts that he'd be right for because they want him even though they're not making anything for him. And they don't even want you. They just don't want anybody else right. to have you. That's a lot of, and it would be like a $100,000 development deal. So in your head, you're like, oh, I only made forty. You know, right. dollars last week, and now they're going to give me a hundred thousand. And realistically, a hundred thousand turns out to be twenty nine. Right, right. So that you have to live off for the next seven years that's, because you're not auditioning for anything. But yeah, they, it's, that's. But so it was funny. all such a hype, you know, well, especially for a comic. Yeah, it's like a big thing. Like you, you know, I'm sure you, you sit there go, "This is going to be amazing." So you you don't go to townies because they wanted to keep you. No, 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 Tony. No, 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 no. Tony's wanted me to go on the air. No, CBS want. I don't think they wanted me to go. So they were trying to figure out a way to get me on the air too to make me stay with CBS. So I, they put me on Murphy Brown. Okay. That, again, same decision. Like, okay, Murphy Brown. I, they offered me, uh, I think, thirteen episodes with a backup development deal, or I could have went on Tony's. And I thought Murphy Brown. It's an established show. Thirteen episodes will give me my feet. I'll learn how to be on TV. I can be small. Right. Learn from the best. And so I took the CBS, I took the Murphy Brown deal, and uh, three days in, I got fired. <laughs> Why'd you fire? I still don't know. You don't I think, know? well, now looking back, I think it was because maybe CBS was trying to push me on as like, because they wanted me on okay. her show. And so now I, un- I understand maybe why she didn't want me. I wish she handled it a little bit nicer. <laughs> How did that make you feel? That must just, because you're all oh of a sudden, were you just devastated? Yeah, especially because I felt like I was making all the right decisions. I could see if I was like crazy and ego. Right. Sometimes you can be like, all right, I got to stop it. But I really felt like I truly made all the right decisions. And so, and then it kept getting pulled out from underneath me. And during this time, it was insanity. So then I got, so Wednesday, I'm off the show. And I remember that. I remember. So I get there and uh, I'm on the set. And literally, my character was mimicking Candace Bergen in real life. Like there was, I had to put the beard bottle down in front of her and be like, you don't scare me. Okay. That was in the show, but in real life, I was like, she was terrifying me. Okay. I was literally hiding because they were all laughing, and I'm like, don't laugh. Right. I knew. I was like, I'm going to get fired. I just was like trying to make myself disappear. And I, so I must have known it was uncomfortable, but I didn't know what was going on. And so uh, Wednesday, I remember I was at a movie screening and uh, waiting for my agent, and she didn't show up. The movie came up. The movie went down. It was like in an auditorium seating, and she came in the bottom, bottom of the stage and through the door and her eyes were all crazy and I was like oh one of her clients must be having a terrible problem right that's why she's late (laughs) (laughs) little did you know oh my gosh and then she pulled I remember we got in the car and she like fishtailed it out of the parking lot and jumped up on the seat threw it in park and she's like the Murphy Brown thing isn't going to work out and I just remember just I had no strength and my internals just dropped out of me and I cried so hard and uh and then I remember flying back to New York. So I had the backup development deal. So I fly back to New York that Friday, I think it was. Okay. Or, 
all the way, and I remember talking on the telephone, the airplane telephone, the whole way. Oh, God, those things. I remember those things. Oh, my gosh, and it probably cost me so much money, but I was so weak. I couldn't well, yeah, handle it's it. devastating. Oh, my it's God, I couldn't handle and it. And the worst thing is because you did everything right in I your mind. You're like, it. I did everything right. And I didn't and know what happened, and yes. I didn't know what happened. I had no idea. How would I ever know? Right. I so, didn't know all that stuff was going on behind the scenes. So you don't, they don't tell you. And so then, so I was home for like five days, I remember, and each day got a little better, like I had the blinds down. <laughs> And then I opened the blinds, and then I brushed my teeth, and then I brushed my hair, and then eventually I had to go back on the plane and go back to L.A. Because I, I, I had the backup development deal, and I w- had to go on the lot where Murphy Brown was to go meet the— Was that hard? Oh! It was like—and was like, and the thing is, that, that's what I hate. You didn't do anything wrong. It didn't if you were like a, a douche, and, and you like told someone yeah. to screw off, no. and or you threw a tirade no. and threw shit or came up loaded. But you're, you're, you're following your— No, in my own defense, honestly, I probably should have been a little bit more stronger for my, in defense of okay. myself. I should have said, like, what's going—I should have said something. But then it's all—I bet it's so—I mean, how long ago was that? It was, you know— Fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. you were young. You, know, young. you don't You don't think— And you, I come from nothing. Right. I was so, still wearing the old ladies' clothes when I went out there. I didn't know anything. What did the old ladies' clothes look like? <laughs> One had, like, a green I, suit. I, I remember I had it was like a brooch. I think you see <laughs> no, with a it was kind of, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like that. I mean, literally, that's what how I ended up. I mean, there was no, like... That's funny. So so you come back. You have to come back. You have to go on to that... Uh... So then we do another pilot. So they want to... Um, they want a Laverne and Shirley. Les Moonves wants a Laverne and Shirley show. Okay. So I think in my head, this is what I'm really good at, too, is, like, I can put people together. So I'm like, okay, Laverne and Shirley, the guys who did Laverne and Shirley would probably be perfect to do it, but they might be too older to keep it hip, but... They probably have the the juice to get it on the air. And then I met these young guys, Margosis and Horn, and they were like hilarious, but they seemed like maybe they hadn't they hadn't gotten anything on the air air yet. And so okay. I was like, Well, why don't they all work together? Everybody's like, No, it'll never happen. They'll never work together. Sure enough, they meet each other, they love each other, they work together. And um at the same time, Penelope Ann Miller and Ileana Douglas were doing a buddy show, a buddy pilot too. So there were two women buddy pilots getting ready for CBS. So who was your buddy? I don't even remember the okay. girl, but I remember it was not pleasant. And uh, we had to do like a test pilot. And so we did the test pilot. And I remember the same feeling was coming up like something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. They only did like one shot of it. We had to wait for like 75 hours. We did it on the set of uh, Step by Step. Step, And they were shooting like a 3D episode. So we had to wait till like midnight to shoot it. And as we were there, the guys kept going, you know, you're not famous enough. The other girls are famous. You're not going to, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. So they were making me more and more insecure the whole time. (laughs) And then I fly back to New York and, uh, I get a phone call. You're fired. I think you don't do anything wrong. You should have just been a jerk. You probably would have kept the job. <laughs> like if you were an it. asshole, you would have kept the job. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Not be a jerk, but I should have been more of an advocate for myself. Yeah, that's like, but that's, so then now, did you go back into your room again? And like, did you go back into the cave and pull the blinds down? Or what did you do? I think I said, get me on another show. I don't know. I maybe tried a different tactic. Maybe okay. I was like, get me on another show. I don't know. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, and so, um, so then that week, I remember that Friday night, I was sick. I had like conjunctivitis. I had the flu. I was really from all the stress. Right. And it was like Friday night, midnight. My phone rang. I answered it. And uh, somebody said, is Sue Costello there? And I thought it was like American Express. It was such an official. I said, oh, this is Sue Costello. She says, I have Leslie Moonves calling for you. And you're like, yeah, who's playing a joke on me? You jerks. Picks yeah. up the phone. <laughs> Costello. I go, yeah. He goes, can you get on a plane tomorrow? Ileana Douglas isn't working out. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, the pilot that they were making me insecure about now. I don't know if she quit or what happened, but she wasn't on it anymore. So I had to fly out the next day. And I remember, oh, my God, I have boogies rolling down my nose. And I saw uh, 
Brand, Brandon, Brandon Wallace, Brandon, who's the guy, um, the big, tall, handsome guy, Brandon. Brandon Lee when he's alive? No, no. The, the guy, I think he, oh, I forget his name, but he's so handsome. And I was in the airport. You know how you think, like, oh, that guy looks familiar. Right. Like, he's cute. Sure enough, wasn't I in first class beside him with my boogies rolling down my nose? He's like, With the old lady's clothes? We still <laughs> no, no, I think I bought clothes <laughs> with my other money. And I was like, oh, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. And then we got there, and I had to meet Jim Burroughs and Penelope and Miller on Sunday. And sure enough, I got the job. Monday, Tuesday night, I was off book in front of a live audience. We did like a fake pilot to see if it would work. And they were like, Sue, woo, you saved the show, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Thursday, we shoot the pilot. And I'm in my dressing room, and all of a sudden, you hear, where's Costello's personality? Where's Costello's personality? And I'm like, what? It was less moving. I'm like, is he talking about me? I'm like, I have to what? I have to what? I have to carry the shit. What? Wow. And, and so I ended up going out and just doing my, uh, I just pulled that. Remember how I said the survival in Right. I just went out and did what I would do. And I ended up from that pilot getting Costello, getting now, my TV show. Costello was on Fox, right? Yep. And now how long did that run for? It was on four times. <laughs> that was it? Yep. Now, how about, did you shoot? How many did you shoot? We shot eight. Now, that must be weird. Did your life change a lot? Because it's even though it's only four times, it's still it's a TV show. Do people? It was crazy. It was the weirdest feeling for me. I didn't like it at all because I didn't know people. Like I was getting in my hot tub in my backyard one night, and the little boy was through the fence. He's like, "My dad loves you," and I was like, "Oh." So it must be really just. I mean, well, and also, also I had no internal strength. <laughs> None. I was just like I had no ability to like stick up for myself I didn't know how to I just felt I had very low self-esteem so it was not good for me so you went I mean you, you had you had a roller coaster of a ride to get to that show yeah I mean you, the show the flying back flying back now since you've been fired before when the show got canceled was it easier on you or, or was it just as hard <laughs> here we go again no actually it was kind of like a relief okay because it was so much on me. It was so much emotionally on me, the whole thing. I just, it wasn't pleasant for me. So it wasn't like. So you didn't enjoy it. I no. mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like people say, oh, it's great to have a series. It was like for you, it was just like, yeah, and, you're, and it's named after you. It's called Costello. It's not like. Well, in order to have a series named after you, you probably need to be the boss a little bit. And I was so like nervous to say, if anybody said, because they wore suits, I thought they were smart. I didn't know. And so if they would tell me something, if I tried to even say one, I almost feel like I was still like a little kid. Like if you say one thing and they go, don't say that. You're like, oh, sorry. Right. Like that's how I was. And in real reality, the reason why they gave me the show is because. Uh, because your toughness? Well, just because of my natural ability. Right. My, the way my brain works. And so, yeah. And then so it's. So you, you get done that. So now you go back to New York. I go back to New York, but I still have a place out here. But I have to tell you, even during the whole time when I had the TV show, because it was such a time where everybody was making so much money and they were making a lot of money off me. I didn't do a lot of stand. I should have went on the road and built my my following. I didn't do a lot of that. And I felt so powerless. I didn't know I had a handle on. I wish I stood up for myself a little bit more, honestly. So when you went back to New York, mm-hmm. when did you start hitting it, hitting the stand-up hard again? Did you just, I did you, the stand-up always. I always did the stand-up, but that's when my one-woman show started to come through. Now, what was... How did that come to you? I mean, because you know, people like a, j- a joke, people will write. But a one-woman show is a very or any uh, it's a very big commitment. I might say, mm-hmm. I and mean, th- I'm sure it's it's not just writing a joke to get laughs. I think it's very cathartic. I think, and also you're bar- you're bearing your soul, and the pressure also is if you're bearing your soul and people don't like it, then you think there's something wrong with your soul. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, so how did you, what, what, but <laughs> well, I did, but the funny part about it is the whole, the whole time when I had the TV show and everything is I did think there was something wrong with my soul. Okay. 
So the best thing to do was to do the one-person show because I always say I was afraid if I went in, I would find out that I was disgusting. And I did at first because of the way I had learned how to treat myself. Okay. But once I cleared that up, I found out that there was adorable awesomeness in there. So it was the time. The timing was perfect for you. I mean, basically, you were. I mean, I'm sure for you to start it at least. I mean, well, and there was also some sense of like I was still a fighter because I was like I'm not going to stop. I'm going to still try to say what because I was always about the craft and the art. I wasn't so much. I didn't care about the fame, fame stuff okay. anymore, and I didn't care so much even about the money. But they would tell me that I should care about it, so I did, and then I would abandon myself instead of stick to my. I didn't know. Right, because yeah, but who? See, that's, that's the one thing. If you go to like, you know, I have a degree in business management. If mm-hmm. I went, if I go into business, I know if something's going wrong. You know, you know the game plan. You go to work, you sell. That's what you do. You sell something. Right. But and then you sell and you get your commission. But when you're when you get a part, I mean, most people, it's not like you don't see like people these loaded people. You know, you you. Don't you, you weren't making a lot of money? Then all of a sudden you're making a lot of money, but then you break it up. You break it down the best, better than anyone I've ever heard. That was excellent. <laughs> but you do that, but then yeah, you don't know what comes. There's no handbook that says this is what comes with fame. But I also didn't even know. I had no clothes. I had nothing, so I had never shopped before. I had not. I mean, literally. So it was like free for all in a way that I didn't even. And then I would feel guilty if I went out to dinner. I would feel like I had to pay. I had so much shame and guilt. And okay. Just, I didn't know how to handle it. So that's when you decided to start writing your one-one show. Yes, because I was trying to just do what I had originally started to do when I was on stage at Caroline's before I let myself get <laughs> carried away. Because <laughs> seriously, that's literally what happened. Like I just did what everybody told me to do instead of what I wanted to do. Yeah, and it's because and and you, know, I think it's also because you worry. It's like you know when I said you know back when I did stand up, you know you go on the road and when clubs are starting to close, you know you really couldn't experiment because. They would rather hire a yeah. hack and say, like, there's a club in New Jersey called Mitchell's. But I will say, through my journey with this show, all that stuff that people like to talk about and complain and everything, if you sit down and you dig inside and you do it, you won't have to complain. There's right. no, and then you, nobody has power over you either. So when, did, so how long ago was when you first started writing the show? Fifteen years ago. Okay, I said that on stage last night at the Laugh Factory. I was like, I've been, it's really good. I've been working on it for fifteen years, and they laughed so hard. That's it. It's just, but it's, I'm sure. I mean, so what's the process when you start doing it? Okay, I mean, so the first time, year, I'm not. But thing also, not starting to interrupt you, but fifteen years ago. You were a different person than you are now. Yes, so, and we also have to remember that success for me was excruciating pain. Okay. So how am I ever going to get myself to a place where I can be successful to support myself and get my art out there and have it not be physically painful for me because I have this P, uh, post-traumatic stress that if I do it, it's going to hurt. Right. Okay. So now it's you're going up a steep hill there. I mean, it, oh. I mean that's that's an uphill battle because it's the same thing is though you want you know you're doing the one man the one woman show and you want it to be you, of course you want it to get successful because you want people yes. to come see because you have a message yes. and you're, you're you're pushing something and but, I want to be I will tell you I would love to instead of saying somebody recognizing me because they saw me on TV I wouldn't mind if people said that's that girl that did that that's that girl right. that thinks that way that's that girl that believes that but then also that also comes back to your post traumatic thing about the success because if the show if everyone just said oh, this is great and you become some kind of guru. And I don't want th- that. I know, but, th- but that's the thing that can happen, though. I know. And that's the weird thing. And that's the one thing that can suck about this career. You, it's like with Kurt Cobain. He didn't want to be, you know. Right. But the thing is, if you're doing it, there's that chance. But you have to be very strong to not let your ego take over. And you can do it. You can just re- hold on to your humanity. Because it's not about those people. It's about me and my own humanity and staying connected and feeling safe and happy. So 
Anytime anybody tries to, whatever. Yes, am I a kind person? People say, oh, you're an exceptional human being. But my thinking is, so you. Right, okay. That's always my thinking. But that's good. It's positive. Yeah, and I don't want to be above anybody else. And I feel like that's what makes, like, I would rather be like, let you see yourself in me instead of me being something better than you, which is like all that new age. And believe me, I never thought I was going to set out to do a show about some new age. Isn't that weird? Like, when you think back, it's like when you sit there and when you first went on stage, you think, I mean, you've come with like, You've you've grown over the years. You've become you know not that you were a kid, but you've become a grown up with your thinking, and that's just. But that's what's great. Must be great about the show because it's you've gone full cycle. I mean, you've really developed. So when did you start writing it? What was the first things you started writing in with it when you did it? Started fifteen years ago. I just told story like I wrote down. But it's funny because everybody says to me like, "How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it?" I'm like, "You do it." Right. I would. I remember sitting at the computer with a blank state page, and I was like. What? It's funny you say that because that's true. Because I, I had a sketch comedy troupe out here a few years ago, and I like I want to do this. And you talk to people, and you're in Hollywood. Everyone wants to work, but then like, oh, you know, I can't. Uh, I got to take acting class. I'm like, you know, what? well, you're taking acting class here. You're paying, and it was like the rent for the theater was like nothing. It's like you can sit there and get on once a week. You can tell agents and people to come because you're on a show. And everyone was like battling, and I finally said, I did the same thing. I said, screw it. I saw my buddy who had the theater. I said, give me a date, two months from now. And I'll do it. And I sat there and I wrote the show and because I had to have it done. I had to do it. And you're mm-hmm. right. Sometimes you can't sit there and, I mean, that's the thing. You just have to go and do it. Like for you, you sat with a blank page and you and like anything, we're writers and we're comics and we're artists. And you probably just sit there and you go, well, I don't know. And you can never get started. That happens to me a lot. Like, you're But it brings page. us back to what we started this whole conversation about, about how there's this, this Oz, this thing that people are trying to reach that it's not, nobody has it. Right. Like this whole idea, the thing that kills me is this whole thing about everybody picking on each other about getting old. I'm like, who? It's the dumbest thing in the world because I'm like, who invented it? They're getting old too. Right. Who invented a fear that everybody, nobody is exempt from? Not one person. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's funny. And you talk about the age. It's funny bringing it up because I, and I thought I was going to be 49 in October. I'm going to be 50. Oh. <laughs> I know. I thought it was because you know, I, I was getting my medicine and I'm like, Okay, sixty. What's your birth date? Uh, ten thirty sixty three. Okay, and then I'm like, I call my girlfriend. I go, holy crap, Joanne. I said, I'm gonna be fifty. And the thing is, I don't care. And that's the thing. But, but years ago, when I turned forty, I was like, I lied. Okay, I, mm-hmm. my friends gave me a Philadelphia Eagles jersey with number forty because I thought I was forty. I was actually forty one. Came out <laughs> a little later. <laughs> but now I'm like, and it's the same thing. I don't care. You know, it's. I think we get to the point where it's like I'm a better person than I was when I was twenty five. I have less hair. Or you're not doing other things if you're worried about that. Right. Exactly. Like I had this woman yesterday in the. Uh, we get. I was getting my nails done in her face. She had like pimples and scratches and. She was very ashamed, and she was telling the girl who was doing her toes, she said, uh, I just got laser. She's like, this is the first time I've come out of the house in eight days. And I thought, well, she just lost eight days of her life. Yes. And it's true. I mean, literally just lost eight days of her life. I know. That's, that's funny. It's like, yeah. it's I don't know. I don't know. That's just crazy. But So my I lived my show. My show, I am my show. Like, there's no... I had to live it in order to be it. How? But how? How long? I mean, it take how? When did you first put it on stage? The first time you performed. You said 50, you started fifteen years ago. How long after that was the first time you put it on I'd stage? I'd say a year. Okay, now. And then I took it down, and then a lot of times I had to go through the emotions attached to what was on, in the show because I had never processed them. So there would be six months where I had to be in grief over stuff that had happened that I had never processed. Okay, now. Okay, I'm sorry. What That's saying? okay. I was just going to say, so I'd have to put it down for six months and then pick it up again. Now, what we when you first put it up that first time though, what was your reaction? Were you like, this is 
this needs more work or do you yes, say this? Yes, because I was just telling stories like I would tell stories doing stand-up or something. So how did you grow? How did you grow I kept that? going to see other shows. I kept going to see other one-person shows. I was like, I, if I see the one that I want to do, I'll know if I see the one. I remember seeing Whoopi Goldberg's Broadway show and I loved it. And then I, I saw Legazamo. And if you hear Legazamo talk, he's one-person show. He started in a hallway with two people. Okay, I didn't know that. He would do it every night in a hallway with two people. Like, people think that you're just, like, all of a sudden overnight, you're on Broadway right. or whatever. And, uh, but his show, when I would watch him in his freak, his show Freak, he would do characters, and then right in the moment, I mean, he would do, be doing his show, and then right in the moment when the pain could get really bad, he would t- turn turn into a character. And internally, I would think, oh, what would happen if he went a little further and we saw the pain? I had that yearning, like, I wanted to see it okay. in him. So then I started to realize, well, that's what I want to do. That might not be what he does, but that's what I want to do. And so then what happened is the show started becoming a play, and now it's literally written in a way that I never break the fourth wall. It's you get all your information from my side of the conversation. So there's as if there's other people on stage with me, and but there isn't. So that's, I mean, but that's, that, that's, how did it come to that point? I don't remember the exact moment when it turned into that. So do you, are you constantly, is it a done work now? Or? Almost. It's almost as tight as it's going to be. I mean, that's why I'm ready to come out here and do it and put it out there. But the hardest thing for me to do was to put it up when it wasn't perfect, which is what I was going to say to you about a lot of times, uh, I think people say Americans are lazy, people are lazy. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, passive perfectionism. If people can't do it perfect, they're not going to do it, and it comes across lazy, of course. Right, because, yeah, no, it's, you can't, I mean, nothing's perfect. But it actually isolates and makes you depressed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you, so you, you, what's the show based, what's, it's, to tell the b- background of it, of, of you know. It's, it's my life story, it starts when I'm a kid, 10 years old, all the way up until now, but you see, there's a bunch of vignettes, they're all vignettes, and you can see how I evolved, how I was a kid, what happened to me, how society, how I adapted these other ways of functioning instead of being true to myself, and then how because then the Hollywood happened to me and you see it manifested in the Hollywood. So the Hollywood and the high school are pr- pretty similar in the show. It's amazing the levels that it has dropped into in terms of the layers upon layers upon layers of what goes on in the show when it's, I never thought. <laughs> well, that's what's cool. Though. That's what's cool about it. Like, I mean, you, you sat there 15 years ago and now you, you're sitting there and it's, I mean, and it's, it's a, a the life. It's like, your, it's like your biography mm-hmm. and you're playing that, you're acting that out. But there's also a message, and it's like a, a, it's not just a show for entertainment values. There's a message of a, how we as human beings come out pure, how we get buried alive, and how if you dig yourself out, you can be happy because I did it by the show is the actual digging out. See, that's what's cool. And it's one of those things. That, well, it's good that you did that. I mean, it's good because you don't, it's, it answers your questions, I think. It's makes, it must make you at ease. I mean, you must be so proud of this work. I mean, I'm very, it's weird to feel so, not only proud, but I'm proud of the human growth that's happened because like, I, so it's taken me that long because it was so emotionally hard to do. Right. So it would be months and years when I could do it or be able to sit down, back down, and write it. Or And now what's happening is the stamina is picking up, picking up, picking up. My feelings don't get as hurt. I don't care as much about the things that I used to care about because my stamina is getting better and better and better and better and better. Now, when you go on stage, does it take a lot of out of you when you do it? I Not mean, anymore because I, I research the what. Like I said, I'm very pr- pragmatic. And also, to be honest with you, I was not going to have my comeback unless I came back with something awesome. Right. Okay, yeah. No, but I'm, yeah, that's, <laughs> I was like, all right, let's make sure at least. If, but it's not came. a comeback. No, and I don't even care. Yeah, you haven't, gone, any, you haven't so gone anywhere. But that's what's so funny about it is it's like I do. 
I want people, what happens with the show, this is what brings me the most joy. People come back to see it three and four times. And they come back and see it because they sit in a dark theater and they have feelings that I talk about stuff that nobody talks about. I talk about how hard it was to be and how low self-esteem I had. I talk about how hard it is to handle my money. I don't put out the, and so they love, they are so, and then they leave and they feel inspired. And I'm like, oh my God, what a better way to have a career. Now, have you talked to any of these people? I mean, have you, the yes. people that come to the show? Mm-hmm. I mean, how did they find you? Just after the show, they say something, or did you get emails? Or? Emails. I get some emails that are like crazy. I mean, people are just, I, I saw that this one woman came. She's like 90 years old. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and I hope none of it's true. <laughs> <laughs> How does that make you? That must no, make I you feel great, tell me though. They leave, and they're like, Sue, I left the theater, and I was supposed to go to the train, and I, w- I, I realized I was like 25 blocks the opposite way. Wow, I mean that's that's just making you feel make you make you feel great. It makes me feel what you're, I always wanted to do, which was connected to human you're beings. You're making a, a people. You're affecting people. You're changing people, and that there's that's there's nothing better than you can do than that. But I mean, you know what's phenomenal? What's amazing is I was thinking about it this morning. Like a lot of times, we're all connected to the negativity, the fear, the fear, and everybody's in it. And I'm like, yes, it's really bad. Like there is a lot of bad stuff. But I'm like, well, what would happen if you just didn't do that? If you just stopped and just tried something different? What if you just were a little bit of a better energy? Right. Well, and that's true. <laughs> and it's like the one Seinfeld where George decides to do everything different. Everything yeah. opposite. And then all of a sudden his life completely changes. I've done that in my personal life. I had some friends who, you know, I think they were jerks. Mm-hmm. And so I just deleted the number. And you know what? And it's great because there's not that negativity. And that's the thing. Some people get, we get stuck up with the negativity. Like negativity weighs you down at times. Right. You, but I don't think it's getting rid of people. I think it's... Because I feel like if you got rid of every, it, you wouldn't. You'd be kind of lonely. No, I but I mean, figuring people that, out how to handle the people and speaking and feeling. There's a lot to stay in the world. To stay in the world and be alive and be awake all the time could be very scary and exhausting. Which is what I was saying. Why I was afraid for them to see me with the stand-up. Because how will I handle myself? How will I have boundaries? How will I speak with dignity? How will I know where I start and where other people end, or vice versa? Like, how will I be able to do that? And there is something phenomenal about being able to learn how to do it. And the energy, like, sometimes I literally feel like I'm vibrating. Okay, well, that's great. That's great. And it's not always about getting, like, even if people do stuff, the less I care about, like, even if somebody says something, I don't even care anymore. It's crazy. Well, that's good. I mean, I think it's and especially now that's good because people can just attack you like on Twitter or whatever people they just don't write. that's good though but people can do that some people do that which is just mean there's such it's so much easier now like when when I was younger you know a, a kid would write you on a bad note you know here it's like you can email you can put this up you can go on Facebook yeah. so that's such as a jerk Twitter uh, such as you know and it's just it's but crazy but if you watch it you'll see that there's two people participating in that right that's a good point. Oh, because every once in a while, somebody will say something. And my first reaction is always to think they don't mean it the way I'm taking it. And I'll say something back like, are you flirting with me? Oh, one guy said the other day, oh, he said something like, uh, "Spread Sue Costello wasn't trying to be funny when she spread her legs or something. She tweet, he tweeted it at Gaffigan and someone else. And I was like, hardy har har, leave the jokes to the professionals. <laughs> and he like followed me and he said, true that. And I was like, oh, there's something about like, instead of just leaving it like he's being gross and I'm upset, I like push him back a little bit and then he has fun and then he rises to the occasion in a way and then he becomes and he becomes one he becomes a fan but in like a and it's not like always prove it's almost just like i just try to be a little more playful even if like if uh, the only way i can describe it is if we're at 50 50 stalemate i'm going to try to give you 51 percent. i'm not going to give you 99 and like give all of myself but i'll give you a tiny bit of slack well that's good but you'd be amazed at how many people love it and how many people 
if I just go a little bit further with the kindness, how much they respond. Yeah, then it becomes it comes into a, even if they meant something mean, then it becomes almost like a banter. And, and also, they nice. see what they did. They're like, right. oh, I'm a being a yeah. It's like I'm gonna, <laughs> we have about five minutes left. Okay. What do you want to talk? What do you want to tell the people? I want them to come see my show. I really do. Now tell all the details. Okay, so it's at the Acme Comedy Theater, which is 135 North La Brea. It's Thursday the 13th, Friday the 14th, Saturday the 15th, Sunday the 16th at 8 p.m. Rico Colantoni is directing me. He's an actor. He's on... Um, he was on Just Shoot Me. He was on Just Shoot Me. And he's me. on Person of Interest a lot. Yes, and yeah. he's directing me, and he's doing I like a great job. Oh. He was so great in Just Shoot Me. was a really funny yes, show. Yes, it was. He is, it's so funny, because then he turns around, and he was on some like drama where like a cop. And then you see him play... like Flashpoint. He was on yeah, Flashpoint. And then he plays the accountant on the mafia accountant on Person yes. of Interest. Just such range. And then now yeah. people don't know him, and he must love that, because he's doing what he loves, and he doesn't have to get people bothering him. But he was so funny in Just Shoot Me. And just mm-hmm. to see his ray, I mean, that's that's got to be. And how did you end up getting him to direct it? Remember the time that I did the pilot with Ilianne Douglas and Penelope Miller? He played my husband. Okay. And I just, it, everything with my show has purely been, that's why I'm saying it's like everything I'm talking about in the show, I've lived. It came to my gut. I was like, ask we go to direct you. That's so awesome. And I just did. And he's like, Sue, do you know I was sitting in my apartment in L.A. saying, I have to do something creative. I got to wow. do something creative. So you got the good timing. See, that's it's good. You come full. So it's at the it's at the at the, uh, Acme. At the Acme. It's uh, you can get the tickets at Acme Theater AcmeComedy.com or SueCostello.com. You can go to my website and see. But yeah, the twenty five bucks beforehand, thirty bucks the night of. See, I would come, but I'm gonna be. I fly out Wednesday. It sucks. I, now I really want to see it. I mean, I'm. I'm. I just because you're very. I think it would be very inspiring. And then is there, is it? Can you see it on video anywhere? Well, or, I'm gonna video gonna, it that night, but I don't know if I'm gonna put it out on video yet because I really want to do it. I want it to be an off Broadway or Broadway run, and I want to eventually. I want to shoot it as a special, and then hopefully do another TV show where I'm not. I'd like to have other really talented people around with me. I don't need it to be my. I'd rather. I like. I enjoy the producing. I enjoy the writing. I enjoy the act. I enjoy all of it equally. Now, how much? How often do you do you tune up your uh, one woman show? Do you tune up? Do you change the? I mean, or is it like now? So I do all the producing too. So that takes a lot of energy. Like I did my own Kickstarter. Okay. So that was from March to April. So I raised all that money, and then from April until now, I just. Pr- promoted the show okay so there's a lot of my energy goes into that but now so this week so doing it these four nights hopefully i have lots of people coming that will see it and maybe want to invest even more money that's what i'm looking for see, that's big good money. that's good and it's good to do that because i also i do that with this show you know i have to write promote that to promote this i have to get my guests and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's and it's it is a lot of work and people just think oh she's doing a one woman show but they don't see what goes behind the scene it's my friend john mattis says that's why it's called show business he goes because right. it's a business no and it's to be honest with you i love it even the guy who took my picture from my postcards he's he just took michelle obama's picture okay and he's like sue i'm taking your picture that must make you feel good. Oh, my God. And then the white in the back, he he just had it in his head. He didn't even see the show. He just said, let's do it in front of a white thing. And the whole show is about purifying and cleaning and sanitizing, and it's crazy. Isn't that just weird how stuff works? Oh, my works? God, I, the I, levels that – and it's because I'm going slow and steady that it's evolving into what it is instead of the way – because believe me, the last time I went fast and crazy in it right. hurt so much. <laughs> I was like, all right. Well, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. And your website's SueCostello.com. Yep, okay. and the show is called I Wasn't Trying to Be Funny. And yet it was because all your life, you when you were well, younger – I don't – even when I had my sitcom, I used to tell them, I don't try to be funny. I just am funny, like That's emotionally not, logical. But, and, but, now, but now you still are funny, though. Yeah, but That's it's natural. It's not – so are people going to, if they come, are they going to have, are they going to tear up a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I teared up during Wreck-It Ralph. I'll admit oh, it. Yeah. I don't care. I, did you see Wreck-It Ralph? No. I, I watched it on an airplane and I was like, at the end, I think, I'm one of those people, I tear up 
with happiness and joy. Like when Rocky, when he says, Adrian, I tear up. It's a wonderful life. I tear up when, you know, at the end when he goes, oh, you're all saving. But lots of guys do. And it was funny because I was with my nephew this weekend and he was saying how boys don't cry. And I was like, yes, they do. I do. I told him that it's a physical release somewhat too sometimes. It's just part of what goes on. And a lot of guys come to the show and they're like, Sue, they feel better. Good. I was afraid that if they felt like feelings like that, that they'd be like, I don't want to feel that. They they feel relieved because they're never allowed to really feel that. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show, Sue. It was thank great. Thank you for Glad having me. Glad I got me. to meet you. And uh, I wish I could. People, go see the show. It's really good. And uh, I, can, I can tell just talking to her in her eyes how proud she is of this work. So you know what? If someone's that proud, get your ass out there. Aww. Also, people, send me an email. Cooper at Indy100, I-N-D-I-E-100.com. Tell me if you have some guests you want me to get. Um, also, my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 150 episodes up on there. Uh, Stitcher and iTunes, Cooper Talk, just type in one word. And Twitter, at Cooper Talk. So that's about it. Send me an email. I want to talk to you people. Facebook, I have a Cooper Talk page with all pictures with links to all my shows. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. And remember this, people. You got to stay thirsty. You got to eat your veggies. And you got to take your vitamins.